At Skyview, we strive to love God and others through generous hospitality and meaningful friendship. For more information about Skyview Church, please visit us at www.skyviewchurch.ca. This service, Father, is not just a religious tradition for us. It is not just because we call ourselves by a certain faith and name. It is an opportunity to experience the presence that reminds us of true worth and value. There is none more worthy than you. No one we can entrust our lives to that will not abuse such authority and power. No one more worthy of our praise and adoration. No one more worthy of our very best. Father, help us this morning to be saturated in your presence so much so that we can realign our values with you. Help us, Lord, as a people, as, as human and as ordinary and as weak as we may be at times, to recognize that as we come before you, you have so much more life for us than we ever dream or imagine. Help us, Father, again to remember today through the songs that has been sung that there is a Savior who died in our place, that this is not just philosophical, this is not just uh, analogous, this is not just metaphoric, this is real. You are a God who has come close, become personal, and understands the very yearnings of our human lives. You know longing. You understand what it means to be searching for that fulfillment, that sense of purpose. And you offer yourself as the answer. Father, this time is sacred because you are here with your people. This time is holy because you grace us with your presence. This time can be meaningful because you define meaning. Help us this morning. Help us no matter where we are, what we've been through, what our weeks have been like. What plagues us this morning? Father, I, I don't think you ask us to develop some amnesia about the realities of our life. But I ask, Father, that none of these realities would deter us from the greater reality that you define life. That you can be trusted. In times of plenty, when things are going well, and in times of scarcity, in times of persecution, and in times of want, you are our source of joy. You are the reason we are here, and we give you praise. Father, I pray this morning that as we end a year of ministry and look ahead, that we would look ahead with hope, knowing that you are with us. I pray, Father, that this church and its people, beginning with me, would constantly seek to keep the value of Christ at the center of all we do. Help us not to be affected by whims and, and what is modern nor interesting, but to focus on you. Help us, Lord, to be the community shaped by the very presence and power of God's Spirit at work within us. This morning, in the next few moments, as I share very simple thoughts, I pray that your Spirit would accomplish within us that which only you can. May we develop receptive ears and hearts to hear what God's Spirit has to say today. In Jesus' name, amen. Um, attended the uh, graduation ceremony. Um, I'm sorry, <laughs> blocking you away, Brenda. Uh, yesterday, of many of the students from Ambrose, and what a wonderful achievement it is in life to uh, graduate. 
I do remember when I graduated that sense of relief, um, and it lasts for about a week, and then you realize there's more decisions to make, but enjoy the week. (laughs) And we pray God's blessing upon you. We pray God's direction, and we pray that you would uh, bring glory to Him in whatever you do and choose to do in your future. This morning, I will be very short, and can everybody say amen? You need to convince me. Can everybody say amen? Uh, last week, I got so excited on Psalm 4. I, I preached. I, I just went for it. And, and then, you know, I, I felt that the holy arrest, God just saying, you have way too much here. So save it for next week. And uh, I'm glad when God does that because it means I don't have to prepare another sermon. Uh, but I want to share with you um, thoughts that, uh, to be honest with you, when I reflected on I said to myself, this is not groundbreaking. This is not so profound that Don's going to leave you going, you know, Pastor, that really spoke to me. And then as this God kind of just spoke to me and said, you know, sometimes the one thing we need more and more in the church is to remember what we already know. You know, one of the things that is dangerous to our faith is forgetting. In fact, the reason we celebrate the, the Lord's Supper Uh, is because Jesus himself infers on a believing disciple that you must do this often so that you will remember and not forget. And you know, memory is important for us in Christianity because life can come at us at such a pace that it pushes us along and what has become core to us seems to kind of fade as life moves us along. And what Christianity constantly beckons us to do is to come back to remember who is our source of joy, our source of hope. Where does our meaning come from? What is our purpose in life? In fact, I want to say to you this morning that worship is exactly intended to do that. It's to reconfigure us towards that which is ultimate and means most. If I can say one more thing to you. I would say that the danger for most of us today is not the evil that we define as sin, but it is the way in which we put an excess amount of affection on the things that are good and that essentially take us away from that which is ultimate. This is what I mean. We can love good things to the point where good things become idolatrous things. We can love things to the point where our affections lead us further away from the recognition that Jesus has to be the ultimate in our lives. And I want to say to you, I I, I would be lying if I said to you that I do not need worship to constantly bring me back to Him. Can I get an amen? Amen. And so this morning, I want to share with you out of Psalm 4, what I preach, I preach both out of conviction to myself. Um, I stand here recognizing that God speaks to me and often gives me an opportunity to share that with you. This is what the psalmist says. Answer me when I call, O God, of my right. You gave me room when I was in distress. Be gracious to me and hear my prayer. How long, you people, shall my honor suffer shame? How long would you love vain words and seek after lies? But know that the Lord has set apart the faithful for himself. The Lord hears when I call to him. When you are disturbed, do not sin. Ponder it on your beds and be silent. Offer right sacrifices and put your trust in the Lord. There are many who say, oh, that we might see some good. Let the light of your face shine on us, O Lord. You have put gladness in my heart more than when their grain and their wine abound. 
I will both lie down and sleep in peace. For you alone, O Lord, make me lie down in safety. For the sake of those who were not with us last week, I will quickly recap what I suggested to you were two concerns that the psalmist addressed. The first one is the concern over reputation. He says that there are people who are talking about him and spreading lies. Now, we don't know, and no commentator or scholar taught me or showed me any more insights in this, whether this was a formal accusation in a courtroom setting or whether, in fact, this was just people speaking bad, speaking lies about who the psalmist was. Obviously, uh, we can relate on a very personal level, and you are all such wonderful people, so I'm sure no one ever says anything bad about you. But me, on the other hand, the sinners saved by grace, have had moments where people have said things about me that may not have been true. And I suggested to you this morning that uh, in the psalm, when the psalmist cries out to God, uh, it's interesting that, that his prayer or his meditation has nothing to do with, with removing the obstacles or the people, but it is a kind of reminder that he gives himself. He, he says in the verses, he says, I, I will remember that God has set me apart for himself as the faithful. And essentially I suggested to us that what others say of us pales in comparison, or at least should be, less significant to us than what God has made us in Jesus Christ. If your identity is not rooted in who you are because of the Savior Jesus Christ, then we give power to others to define our, define our worth. In fact, I asked the question, I, I, I suggested to you last week, that whoever's opinion of you matters the most has the greatest power and influence on you. And I suggested to you that in relationships where people have that power over us, they can often abuse it. It has. Historically, we know people in power have abused their power over those who they've led or have had control over. We know on a personal level that in relationships, people can abuse their power over one another depending on, on how that relationship dynamic unfolds. We understand that abuse is constantly being exercised by those who have power over us and those to whom we give power. But I suggested also last week that we have a Savior who though when we give Him complete authority over our lives, He will not abuse such authority but will give us the purpose and hope and in this text, the shalom and peace that we're seeking for. You see, I have to constantly check my heart that my motives are not misleading in my relationships. Are you with me? And some of you are going, I thought he was perfect. I mean, the human condition constantly tells me that there is something within me that would drive me towards self-centeredness. It would drive me towards decisions and actions that no matter how I flower it up and paint the picture, may be very self-serving. And in fact, if there is maybe a, uh, a truth that I didn't touch on last week, it is to suggest to you folks that what we say about others can either help them or hinder their faith. And I, I, I have to say to you that we have to, in the church, exercise a holy quietness. We need to guard our mouths. We need to guard what we say. 
We need to be careful with the tongue that God has given us. And, and I begin with me because I think, and we've heard, you know, the, the proverbial wisdom, guard your mouth, watch what you say. But I want to say this to you, that very often what we say gets out there and it becomes, even if it's not true, a truth to others. And it damns and affects the people and the relationships around us. And there is a simple way in which the psalmist confronts us with this. He, he simply says, listen, uh, just start to trust God and bring before him all of those, those emotions and those frustrations. And then he says something in the psalm that, that I think is quite interesting. He says, when you go to bed at night, he says, lay and think about it and then be quiet. And I suggested to you that one can only be quiet when you are troubled, when you trust that God is in control. You can only hold your tongue when you believe there is one that will speak on your behalf. You can only be quiet when you believe that God will eventually bring about the peace and the justice that we desire. But I also suggested to you that when we are quiet, in prayer in particular, we develop a posture that we often miss, the ability to hear the voice of God. It's interesting to me that in prayer, very often times, I think that how I have to engage is in what I have to say to God, what I need from Him, what I need to ask of Him. But that prayer is also about a quietness and a stillness that allows me to hear what God has to say. Now, people have said to me over the years, and this is just my introduction, but I only have one point, so everybody said, Amen. People have said to me over the years, they've said to me, said, I would love to hear God speak to me. And as a pastor, I've sat down with people who said to me, man, does God speak to you in an audible voice? And I have to admit to you, and I've said this to you before, I've never heard God speak to me in an audible voice. doesn't mean that God doesn't speak in an audible voice. But what I do know is that God has led me and He has spoken to me. And one of the primary ways in which God speaks to me this day is through what He has already given us through His Word. That one of the ways that we ought to pray, and this is very practical this morning, and everybody said, Amen. Because I'm always grabbing for practical, and I never get there sometimes. But i got to say to you, one of the things we need to do more is saturate ourselves in the Word of God. Listen to what God says. You know, um, uh, you know if, if, if Jesus becomes the primary again in our lives, if we want to keep God at the center of our lives, I think we need to put the Word back to where it belongs. And I have to say to you that I think one of the things that we miss in our culture is the individualization of our Christianity, so much so that we think it's only about what I do on my own. But I have to suggest to you that the way to read and listen and discern is often in community. You know, this is a part of discerning the voice of God. This is a part of listening to what God is saying and doing, not only in the pastor's words, but as we worship. And some of us need to step out and connect to communities and smaller communities and possibly small groups where we can hear and listen and discern together the voice of God. I have to ask you quite simply, where is that happening in our lives? But that is the review, the first concern over reputation. The second one, and... And I stretch to try and make this fit, I know, but hopefully the scripture bears it out. It's found in verse 6 and 7, where the scriptures, the psalmist says this, There are many who say, oh, that we might see some good. Let the light of your face shine on us, O Lord. You have put gladness in my heart more than when their grain and wine abound. Now, we can pray because we're concerned about false lies about us and ask God to somehow remind us that what he says about us matters more. But if there's another concern that comes out of the scripture, it would be implied in verses 6 and 7 that there is a concern over sufficiency. 
You see, the psalmist is speaking about people who cry out for God to show them goodness, to make his face shine upon him. And then he defines those people as praying this prayer because they believe the goodness and God's presence, his light and his face shining on their means uh, is revealed in the abundance of their grain and their wine. In a simple way, the psalmist is referring to people who believe that God's blessing, that his presence, that his light shines on them when their grain and wine are overabundant. I think today, if we are to be honest with you, that it's easy to find certain Christian interpretations that suggest God is blessing and God is to be credited and God is to be praised and God is pleased with us when things are going well and the cupboards are full. But you know what the psalmist says? He says, but you have put gladness in my heart in more abundant ways than when their grain and their wine overflows. You know what the psalmist is saying? He's saying God can be the provision and God is the provision of all the abundance that we enjoy. I want to say this to us in this culture, in this country, we ought to be thankful beyond measure for what we have. We ought, to, we ought to celebrate and give thanks so much more. You know, when you operate your life out of, out of constant want, what you're literally doing is you're depriving yourself of the joy and the blessing that is there for you because of what God has already given you, beginning with Jesus on the cross and down to every material blessing that you enjoy today. Are you thankful for what you have? Because it will change how you treat and how you respond to the value of Christ in your life. Some of us determine God's blessing and His presence and His favor when there is an abundance of things. But the psalmist points us to a deeper reality. He says, listen, the joy and the security that I have comes from who God is in my life. And whether in want, and whether in times where people say things about me that is just not kind and right, or whether in abundance... No one can take that joy from me. There's a, are you still with me? Say amen. I'm almost done. There is a, a, a discrepancy among scholars how to interpret verse 6. Uh, and in fact, if we can bring it up, I, I, I want to share it with you because I think it's valid. Some of them say that uh, when the psalmist speaks about many who say, oh, that we might see some good... It is the psalmist who then responds and says, Let the light of your face shine on us, O Lord. So in other words, the discrepancy is between where people are, what people are saying, and are they saying everything that's in that verse, or is the psalmist responding to the request that people make to see some good? However you interpret that, the reality is, is that let the light of your face shine on us, O Lord, refers us back to Numbers chapter 6. Do you remember that? The priestly blessing. In fact, I, I want to read it for you because this is what the, the blessing says. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine on you and be gracious to you. The Lord turn his face towards you and give you peace. Whether the psalmist is responding to the request for good that is rooted in a sense of blessing and material uh, abundance or whether he is quoting verbatim what people are praying, there is an implication in the scripture that says, very often times we associate God's goodness 
with our abundance. But the scripture in Numbers points us to a few realities that I think I want to share with you in closing. The first is simply this. In every verse, it is the Lord who is the source and the giver. In three verses, the Lord is the source of blessing, is the source of grace, and he is the source of peace. When God is not the source of blessing, then we attribute very oftentimes what we have to ourselves and our abilities. When God is not the source of what we possess, both in what we do in career and what we earn, then we attribute the very things that we have to our own device and our own abilities. But when God is the source we know that it changes how we see, how we live, how we value, and how we hold on to things. That even when we lose that which is great and, and, and cost us a lot and means a lot to us, we have in him a source that is far more valuable. In times of difficulty, the people of Israel believed that God had hidden his face from them and abandoned them. But in the priestly prayer, it says... Not only does the Lord make his face shine on them and is gracious to him, them, but the Lord turns his face towards them and gives them peace. This word peace, shalom, in the Hebrew is a word that means more than just the absence of conflict. In fact, it is the kind of peace that is a lot more holistic than the English word would lead us to believe. This peace is a completeness, a trust, a security in knowing that no matter what the storms of life may be, in Christ we have everything. In closing, I want to suggest to you that there's a connection here with the greatest gift we have received in the person of Jesus. The psalmist says, You've put gladness in my heart more than their grain and wine abound. Grain from which we get bread, wine, a symbol of the Eucharist. It is interesting to me that the psalmist used these words in almost in a prophetic way, really, to point us towards the sacrifice of Jesus Christ. That Jesus is that greatest provision for us. That he is the abundant provision of God. And, and I said to, to many of you, I, I said to you before, I said, if we have a devalued appreciation of Jesus, we will spend most of our Christian life trying to do what Jesus already has done on our behalf. He's sufficient. Your sins are forgiven. You can know God's love and be his child. The table reminds us this morning that his grace is more than enough for all of us. It is this Christ who said to his disciples in Luke chapter 24 verse 36, after his resurrection, peace be with you. The kind of peace that I desire in my life is not when my kids learn to sleep in an hour in the morning. The kind of peace that I long for and that the scripture offers us and that the psalmist prays for is a soul peace. The kind of peace that no human relationship will give you. I've said this a lot and I hope you don't think there's anything wrong with my marriage because of it, but as much as I love my wife, she's not my source of peace. And hopefully neither is she the source of conflict. As much as I love my children, whom God has blessed me with. And when I think about my kids, I've got to tell you folks, 
I don't, I don't know if I've ever understood love like that. Parents, can I get an amen? And no matter how old they get, and even when they're going to get married, and that you still remember when they wanted daddy or mommy. There is a deep love that God has given me, and there's such incredible blessing in family and in wives and in children and in so many of the relationships we have. But there's only one who satisfies the soul's discontent. It is when we turn to our Savior and Lord that we can lay down at the end of every day, whether things have gone well or not. And as the psalmist says, lie down and sleep in peace. For you alone, O Lord, make me lie down in safety. Where does our ultimate security and safety, our ultimate peace come from? It comes from the Lord God Almighty.